Allergy, all things theology, we chop it up properly without an apology. Gotta get that allergy to God, hollow because this is how we do it at all things theology. Well, yo, grace and peace, grace and peace, saints. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back to an episode of All Things Theology. This is your host, K Dub, and today. We're going to talk about Lordship salvation versus free grace. Some of you might be asking yourself, man, you're starting off late, right? Don't you usually go a little earlier in the day? And yes, but I have some exciting news. Not not for me, right? Not for me, but I was uh, helping out a friend, helping out a friend and he had his baby. Well, his wife, right? 2023, got to be very clear what you mean these days. But <laughs> And so I was here for that. I was doing that, serving him in that manner, helping out with his uh, children. And so, um... <laughs> yeah, I'll eat you up, April. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, that was what I was doing. I had the opportunity, the privilege of doing that. And so it was a blessed time. And so later start today. But, hey, still fire content am i lying still going to give that fire content we're going to talk about lordship salvation versus free grace theology before we do that i'd like to open us up by the way of analogy by way of analogy what if i chris k dub williams claimed to you that i was a mechanic right you brought your car into me and i said hey yeah i can fix that and but before you did that, you, you thought about the smart thing and you said, hey, what's your expertise? What's the evidence of your claim? You know, you say, hey, um, don't you know how to work on the cars? Well, no. How many years have you been doing it? Well, I've never done it. You know, you look at me, you, I don't have any oil stains on my hands. right? <laughs> Every mechanic has oil stains on those hands, right? Grace and peace to you, Willie Doc. Don't worry, I'll be nice. I'll be nice. I always am. Right? You would say, huh, hold on. You know, but you give me a shot, right? You give me a shot anyway. You say, hey, all right, I'll give this guy a shot. It's my only my only hope. Right? You say, hey, yeah, I'm having engine trouble. And then I start to proceed to go to the back of the car to look for the engine. Now, most reasonable people would say, hey, you know what? I'll get this towed somewhere else, right? And find an actual mechanic. Why would you do that though? That is the question. Well, maybe you would agree with the statement that the pro profession of my expertise of being a mechanic doesn't actually fit the evidence, right? Doesn't fit the evidence. It is my claim that the Lordship Salvation first verse free grace theology conversation really it is over the nature of true saving faith. What does true saving faith produce? Before we get to that, I think it's helpful that we define our terms. A lot of times conversation is missed because we don't define our terms. We don't. Uh, and then, yeah, when we don't define our terms, we end up speaking past each other. Right. And that does not serve for helpful debate. Or discussion. So allow me real quick to define what it is, is my position on Lordship Salvation. Uh, John MacArthur wrote a book way back, uh, back in the days of DTS, when the controversy of this topic first arose. Uh, not that it had never arose before, but it was um, kind of new to these circles, right? Um, John MacArthur in the gospel according to Jesus lays out the case for lordship salvation. 
He summarized the teaching this way, okay? The gospel call to faith presupposes that sinners must repent of their sin and yield to Christ's authority. In other words, they trust in Christ, right? If one claims to, uh, you know, trust something, someone, then there's a evidence that follows, right? Um, we can give many biblical examples, but let me continue. In other words, a sinner who refuses to repent is not saved. I'll provide more evidence for that here in a second. Um, for he cannot cling to his sins, right? I.e. live in sin and the Savior at the same time. No, my friend, this is not a call to uh, sinless perfectionism. I'll elaborate more in a second. A sinner who rejects Christ's authority in his life does not have saving faith. For true faith encompasses a surrender to God. Not perfectly, but yet nevertheless, they surrender. Thus, the, the gospel uh, evidence right, requires the, the, the fact that you've been impacted by the gospel uh, requires more than intellectualism, right? Mere facts that you adhere to, right? There are many that say, well, no, just tip the hat to Jesus, right? Tip the hat to Jesus, and then that's it, right? And I think we have to define our terms because free grace sounds like the one you want more, right? Although I affirm that God's grace is free, I reject the, the free grace theology, right? I reject the free grace theology. Allow me furthermore to say what lordship salvation isn't. Lordship salvation is not obey God, then you will be saved. We are not arguing that once you do all this work, then you are actually saved. No, I believe that justification is a one-time event, that it happens at conversion. And then once that event is done, there is no further justification uh, forensically, right? There is, you know, not in that sense. Once justified, always justified, right? Um, lordship salvation is not a measure of obedience that determines if you're a Christian. In other words, it's not checklist Christianity, it's not do all these things and then you're a Christian. No, I reject that as well. Finally, as I've stated just a bit ago, lordship salvation is not sinless perfectionism. Um, and what we'll hear um, from proponents who disagree categorically will put lordship salvation in all the three things I just denied, right? They'll essentially argue that uh, it's... Um, Works-based salvation, either, even though I reject it, I've done many debates on the free grace of God, uh, the salvation by grace alone through faith alone, right? It was the reformers who, who argued uh, specifically for that, right? Many of the proponents of free grace will strawman uh, the lordship salvation position into those three categories. So, so if I'm saying that's not what it is, and even though I've laid out what it is, let, allow me very succinctly to state what it is. Lordship salvation is a description of true saving faith. Essentially, it's sanctification, <laughs> right? It is a description of the justified believer and the necessity of sanctification in that believer's life. I reject any doctrine, any gospel that does not actually 
change the believer. I reject any gospel that says you can have the Holy Spirit and live just like or even worse than you were prior to conversion. That gospel is a powerless gospel and is not the gospel of the Bible. Secondly, lordship salvation is a fruit of what the spirit does in Christians. Again, the holy God comes and makes his abode inside of this temple. He changes you. The grace of God changes you. We'll, we'll get to that later. Lastly, as I've stated, lordship salvation is sanctification. Amen. That God not only justifies us, right? He not makes us forensically righteous, right? He not only declares us righteous, imputes the righteousness of Christ, he conforms us into that as well. Now, this is a progressive thing, right? This is why theologians call this progressive sanctification. And I would argue this is necessary in everyone God does the work of justification to. Now, we're going to see that free grace components deny this. Many free grace components will say, many will, will not, many will say, yes, this should happen, but for many, it may not. And that is actually what I reject. And so, with that said, I want to look here at the website of a free grace component, Dr. Bob Wilkins, to show you my to show you myself that I'm just not right, straw manning. But this is what the free grace components themselves say. Right. Let's look here at free grace theology summarized. It says, and a lot of this is good. A lot of it we're going to agree with. A lot of it we're going to say, wow, that sounds solid. Right. But it's the that which we disagree with, which makes this so dangerous. You know, in the first paragraph here, just to be clear, it, it goes on and talks about where this originated. And I thought this this first sentence was pretty uh, interesting. It says, Although free grace theology goes back to the Lord Jesus and, his, and to his apostles. Now, I vehemently disagree with that statement. Right. It says, and it was certainly evident in the 17th through 19th centuries as well. I think it's funny how <laughs> this doctrine was uh, uh, seemingly missing for 1700 years or, or 1600 years. Interesting. Maybe that was not to be exhaustive. I'll, I'll give grace and understanding there. Uh, it says it's really taken off, taken shape in the last 35 years. Talks about the uh, the gospel under siege by Zane Hodges. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, let's read free grace theology summarized. So I think it's very important to um, let opponents speak. Right. And let them define their terms. It says free grace theology is the view that one everlasting life is a free gift, free, free gift, which the Lord Jesus paid for. What's the Lord Jesus fully paid for by his death on the cross for our sins, which is received by faith alone and Christ alone, apart from works of any kind. And to that, I say, amen. Two, that assurance of one's eternal destiny is based solely on believing Jesus promise to the believer and not all of our works or on our feelings. <laughs> and to that, I say, amen. Three, that all people, believers and believers are accountable for their works receive recompense for what they do in this life and will be judged at the end of the life, end of the age in two separate judgments to determine degrees of awards, believers or degrees of torment, unbelievers in the life to come and not to determine their eternal destinies. Well, 
This is where some of this is going to be a little uh, disagreement. Um, after we get through here, so so I would agree with much of this, but the the this sentence here, I mean, they are being separated be, because of their works. So I, much of this is going to be fully laid out once we get a little further. Um, he goes on to say, well, essentially, um, the Armenian and the Calvinist. Let me read this. It says. Both believe that um, perseverance in good works is required to make it to heaven. Well, it depends what you mean by that. If he is saying in this critique that it is my perseverance, which is why I am justified, then I, I categorically deny that. But if he's saying what Jesus said, that, um, you know, those who endure to the end shall be saved, then Absolutely. Because essentially what the free grace position has to say is that you can essentially you can apostatize and still not make it to heaven. I mean, we've heard free grace components, opponents, uh, proponents say, hey, yeah, you can you can be a Christian and become a Muslim. Hey, and you're still good. Now, I would argue that person was never saved. So there's needs to be a little nuance even in that. Right. Going on, he says. Many, but not all, Calvinists say if a believer fails to persevere in good works, then he proves he wasn't a true believer in the first place and goes to hell. Absolutely. Absolutely. First um, John 2.19, why do people not endure to the end? Because they were never with us. Right? They have never come to the grace of, grace of God, the true saving knowledge of God. Uh, so note, this is how, and ultimately this is how we're going to, this is what we're going to disagree largely with his definition of faith. Cause he'll say faith is the, uh, right. It's faith alone and Christ alone, which saves a man. Amen. But what does this faith look like? What does this true saving faith look like? Notice his definition of faith. Look at this. Um, it says faith in Christ. Is intellectual assent stripped of its pejorative connotation? Intellectual assent is a good good definition of what faith is. Now, this is an incomplete definition of faith because the Bible just does not does not describe faith as merely just adhering to certain truths. Right? Matter of fact, the Bible calls someone who is a fool who knows certain things but doesn't live in accordance with it. The Bible's not commending people who say, yeah, I know God exists, only to live contrary to that fact, right? Um, so, no, this is an incomplete definition. Faith involves a trust, an adherence with that claim, with the truth claim we know to believe, right? And note he gave the example. Do you believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States? He said, if you do, do you know what faith is from a biblical perspective? So for him, faith is just looking in history and say, yeah, that's a true fact. I, again, I categorically deny that because it is an insufficient faith. Again, a faith that is not living is not true saving faith. We'll get to that in a second. We'll get to that in a second. But this is actually one of the worst parts of the article. And we'll stop here and go on to a video here in a second. He says, describing faith, there is no commitment, no decision of the will, 
no turning from sins, and no works that are part of faith in Christ. If you are convinced or persuaded that what he promised is true, then you believe in him. Faith is passive. It is simply taking Jesus at his word. So, um, so, so the believer's life has, has involves no commitment in his faith, no decision of the will, uh, no turning from sin. So you can remain in your sins, no works, no, no working out your faith and trembling. Like the Bible says, um, none of that are part of having faith in Christ. Matter of fact, we'll see here in a, a little bit. Um, you, you can live like all those things, as long as you've tipped the hat, right? As long as you've tipped the hat um, to these things, um, then you are a Christian. And yeah, very interesting, right? Well, again, I, I reject a faith that is descriptive of this. It is not true saving faith. Um, it's the faith of demons, right? It's a faith of the world, but it's not the faith of God that is described in the Bible. Um, we'll get to some verses in a second, but what I want to do is by, um, virtue of, uh, disagreeing with this. And, and I think it'll be a good, um, critique if we play Bob Wilkin providing some kind of critique to the Lordship position, right? And I think what we'll see is it actually brings out his position as well as provide a basis for this video today. So with that said, we'll be engaging with Bob Wilkins' position. Um, this, oh, by the way, this, this uh, theology is also being called uh, easy believism. You know, some people have derogatively have called it cheap grace. Um, I'll let you decide for yourself if that's what it is, but Easy believism as well as kind of a synonym for free grace. I think you'll see why it's called easy believism. I think you even see now why it's called easy believism. And so with that said, let's get into this video. What is easy believism? Hi, I'm Bob Wilkin with Grace Evangelical Society, and I have some good news for you. I'm looking at an article by gotquestions.org, which is a website I really like and use often. This particular article is called, What is Easy Believism? And the author of the article, unfortunately, gets things quite confused. The author of the article says that the debate over easy believism is caused by people misunderstanding scripture. And the author goes on to quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then go on to say, however, if you are truly saved, you will produce good works, and that's what Ephesians 2.10 is talking about. However, Ephesians 2.10 is simply saying that we, the body of Christ, God's masterpiece, are designed to produce good works. We, in Ephesians, is Jews and Gentiles together in one body, the body of Christ. And so the author is misunderstanding what Ephesians 2.10 is doing. It's saying that we who have the free gift of everlasting life are now part of a larger body whose purpose is to glorify God. But for, and we're going to see this later for Bob Wilkin, 
everyone technically could tip the hat to Jesus, but never walk in accordance with these works. But but notice if you actually look at the verses, it's a strong argument for the Lordship position. Because notice, God has already prepared these when? Right? <laughs> He's prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. And this isn't a should of, yeah, maybe you gotta you can do the opposite. This is a should of necessity, not um like, yeah, you can choose A or B. Uh, if God's grace has saved you, then these works are dem demonstrative that God has uh, placed his grace upon you. And you're walking in accordance with that. Yeah, yes, it is collective. But notice it's beforehand. God's already prepared our good works, which is amazing to think about in one second. Um for, for noted, we, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And this is a good theology. The If you want to study the union of Christ. Um, why do we work? Because he worked. Why will we be raised from the dead? Because he raised from the dead, right? And so he just kind of dismisses this as well. No, verse, verse 10 isn't really talking about that, um, you know. He tries to pin a contradiction between being saved by grace and this grace also producing works. Well, if you're going to start off with that presupposition, then, yeah, I mean, you're going to you're going to not understand much of the Bible's teaching. So we'll keep going. There's nothing in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 that guarantees that every believer is going to be successful, that every believer is going. I, I totally disagree because God has already pre prepared them beforehand. So I, I so notice he's saying, well. There's nothing in Ephesians 2.10 that says it's, 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 uh, every believer is going to be successful. Well, if God has already prepared them beforehand, I would largely say yes, it does. But listen to this. To live a glorious, overcoming life. But yet that's what the author goes on to say. The author goes on to say, if there is no evidence of growth and good works, we have reason to doubt that salvation ever took place. So under this system, your assurance of everlasting life is based on looking at your works. So, so yeah, so there are evidences which comes with salvation. I mean, there's numerous texts which say this, right? L let's, let's look at a few because... Yeah, and you know, I know they want to pin this as works-based salvation, but it is evidence of salvation. They conflate all that to, to mean the same thing. Well, if you're saying it's evidence, then it's works-based. Well, that, that's foolery. Um, a few texts. Let's look at Mark 16, 24 through 27, because one of the things uh, the, the free grace position likes to do or wants to do is create a difference between the Christian and a disciple. Now, everyone who... You know, for now, this is the free grace position. Everyone who tips the hat to the to Jesus is a Christian in their theology. But discipleship is kind of a second level Christianity. Those are for the really the spirit filled people. Right. And so but notice what this says. Notice what this says. Then Jesus told his disciples. Mark 16, 24 through 27. If anyone. That's, that sounds very uh, exclusive to all those, right? <laughs> Not some of you. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. 
but whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Right? And then it goes on from there. But notice this is all inclusive of every single person. One of my favorite texts on this issue is 1 John 3. We can start at verse 9. It says, no one, no one, now the free grace position has to read this as some people do. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. This practice, this, this habitual lifestyle that a person is in, the, the Bible says the born again believer can't live that way. You, and here's the reason. For God's seed abide in him. So remember what I said in the beginning about the spirit of God living you will cause you not to live a certain way. Here's proof of that. And he cannot keep on sinning. That is, live this practice of sinning, this lifestyle, because he has been born of God. Notice this. By this, it is evident who the children of God. Notice, remember how you just said a second ago that there's no evidences that come with being a Christian? Just believe. <laughs> By this, it is evident who the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness of not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So pause right second. So we can tell by someone's lifestyle evidences. Now, can they be blurred at sometimes? Can believers sometimes be carnal? And not what we're going to hear in a second. Not the Tony Evans version of carnality. We're going to, we're going to get to that a little later. Stick around. But by this, that is the practice of sinning, it is evident who the children of God. Bible says you can know it. And who are the children of the devil? If you're not practicing righteousness, if this is not, you're not of God. Matter of fact, it goes to say, if you don't love your brother, you don't love God. And, and, and I love the Bible <laughs> because it goes on from verse 11 onward to verse 24 to give an example of this. Now, our church has been preaching through the birth of First John. We got through this passage. And man, it's been great. Right? It's been great. Just to seeing this text, right? If you go to verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has ever eternal life abiding in him. See, the free grace component doesn't can't look can't look at this and just see read that and say, yeah. They have to turn this around as, 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 as discipleship. No, this is talking about a discipled Christian. You know, and it's like, I have to add and import so many things into the text. And so, um, yeah, let's keep going with this video here. So let's keep going. But since your works are imperfect, you're going to go through your whole life doubting whether you're going to heaven or hell because you are going to be looking to yourself, not Christ, to see if you're going to be with him or to the lake of fire. Two things there. One was a straw man at the end. The reason why anybody gets to heaven is because of the work of Christ. We need to examine ourselves, as the Bible says, and I'll give you a verse for that here in a second. We need to examine to see if we have truly believed in Christ. Now, I don't go to heaven because of my good works. I go to heaven because of what Christ did and me. The instrumental means of how one grabs hold of that is by faith. But the question is, how do I know my faith is authentic and real? Well, don't you love the Bible? <laughs> don't you love the Bible? Because it gives you these answers. Right. Second Corinthians 13, five. Now, I know a lot of 
A lot of free grace people don't like this verse. Because notice it tells you it tells you to do the very opposite of what they tell you to do. Notice what it says. Examine yourselves. Uh-oh. That's that sounds like works-based salvation, according to them. <laughs> no, it's not. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Right? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. There are many pseudo brethren. There are many false converts. Right? And what's the thing they never do? Examine themselves. They are telling you to do the very thing that would cause someone to realize, hey, man, I'm a pseudo devil. Right? I'm a false brethren. I'm a false convert. Yeah. That's right. And, and me and Rick, we did a, a <laughs> six hour marathon explaining this very point. It is not about what we have done, but what Christ has done. And, it's, and if Christ has done this work, see, and, and, and I love how Rick, brother Rick Caldwell explains this. Fundamentally, they misunderstand the atonement and what it does. The atonement is just not for tipping the hat to it and saying, ah, that's some facts I agree to. But the atonement has changed our life, brothers and sisters. Read Romans 6. Christ got up from the grave. We are newness in life now. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? This is about the resurrection and the atonement of Christ at the end of the day. That's a fundamental fundamental misunderstanding. That's, that's where the fundamental misunderstanding comes in. What has Christ's atonement actually accomplished and achieved on behalf of those whom it's, it's, he's merited salvation for? Now, um, Bob Wilkins will say, well, I mean, I guess it depends on if they're a disciple or a Christian. A disciple is a Christian. A Christian is a disciple. So let's continue more in this video. The author goes on to cite James chapter 2 and verse 20, faith without works is dead. And he's saying, look, if you don't have a life of good works, then you don't really have faith. Look at, I've got other videos on James 2 here on YouTube. Take a look at those. But all that James is saying is faith without works is unproductive. It's unprofitable. It's not good. So all James is saying is faith, uh, or, or, or let me go back because I don't want to miss, I don't want to misunderstand him. So let, let's see what he thinks faith is about here on YouTube. Take a look at those. But all that James is saying is faith without works is unproductive. It's unprofitable. It's not good. So he's saying all, all James is saying is uh, faith, faith without works is unproductive and it's not good. <laughs> I think I, I, I would assert, and then we will read this text here in a second, that James is saying a lot more than that. He's saying a lot more than that. Let's let's look at it real quick. Um, very interesting interpretation. Let's start at verse 14. He says, what good is it? My brothers, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? That's what it actually says in the Greek. I know that that is implied, right? Because it's obviously referring to this faith that was talked about just in the previous uh, phrase. Can that faith save him? Right. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, 
go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? James is saying, what good is someone who just says all these things but has no actions to verify the claim? Right? So obviously this is in a negative context of it's not just good. It's demonstrable. (laughs) You can demonstrate this. Right? That's why he says, verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it has not have worked, is dead. You don't actually have it. Right? You don't have it. Notice what say. Verse 18, someone will say, no, notice this. I love, I love the apostle James. He's, he's, me and James would get down, man. I've never been to Missouri, but I love people from Missouri. They about to show me (laughs) the show me state. He's the show me apostle. Someone will say, notice this is their profession. You know, as a, as the claim goes, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap, right? You have faith and I have faith. Have works. <laughs> notice this. Notice this irrefutes him. This refutes him right here. He says, show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. Now, the very thing the free grace people say, don't do. Faith is just a mental assent. Isn't that we heard in the definition earlier? It's just mental assent, not actual action. You believe that God is one. You do well. You do well. That's good, right? It's good to believe. It's good to proclaim this belief. But notice this. Even the demons believe and shudder, right? Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Notice this. It is not a good thing. It is not a biblical thing to be a person who just claims to have faith without the evidence of it. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? My friends, it does no good to say you just have faith. Anybody can do that. You actually don't have to have faith to make the claim. Notice that's what he says about the demons. The demons say that. Right? Show and prove. That's right. That's what we want. Show me. And then he goes into it, man, I I wish I could just go in on this, but for for time's sake, he goes on to talk about Abraham demonstrated this, right? Rahab demonstrated this. Go read Hebrews 11. That is the hall of faith chapter. And it's all about people who are walking out their faith, not just claiming it. Right? He says, well, it's just about people who, you know, want to. You know, they just say, you know, you know, it's just not use. It's not good to to not have. A, it, it, it goes a lot further than that. There is no way you can say you have faith, but not demonstrate it because faith acts. It produces something. God's grace actually changes the sinner. <sighs> well, let's keep going. Uh, The author goes on to say that faith alone does not mean that some believers follow Christ in a life of discipleship while others do not. That's right. Actually, it means that it is possible that a believer may not follow Christ in discipleship. And we see lots of examples. The book of 1 Corinthians is certainly one. The prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 is certainly an example of a believer who was away from the father for a time and then 
came back. And we have lots of examples in Scripture of believers who are not walking in discipleship. Now, again, uh, he's he, he's critiquing and, go, and pushing it back against the idea that uh, God questions is saying, well, no, anybody who's been a Christian is going to be producing, going to be a disciple, right? They're, they're not separating these things. Uh, but uh, Bob Wilkin comes along and says, no, there, it's very possible that people will, you know, be Christians and not be disciples. But notice the verse I read earlier, Matthew chapter 16, right? If anyone, anyone, this is, this is applicable <laughs> to anyone will come after me. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is, uh, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Actually, I'm in the uh, wrong passage here. Um, where, where did I? Uh, Luke 14. Yeah, sorry, Luke 14. Because it says the same thing. Very, very, uh, uh, Luke 14, starting at verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple, right? This is the call of every Christian, every person who comes to Christ. Notice, if you come to him, that's, that's Christianity. That, that's that's, a, that's a, a faith. If you come claiming faith, but you don't do these things, you're not willing to do this, this is not the heart's disposition, the Lordship of Christ, you can't be my disciple. And Jesus goes on to talk about the cost of discipleship and all this. If anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I mean, I don't know where he's getting that from. Right? I don't know where he's getting that from. And then he goes on to say, uh, you know, there's many examples of this, right? We got the the, the prodigal, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Whenever someone wants to abuse scripture, they generally go to parables. Again, I don't believe that the prodigal parable of the prodigal son is even about the son in itself. It's it, there's much more to that. And again, it never says he's saved. They assume that's the point of Jesus. They assume that's the point of Jesus. And Again, he Jesus, there's so many things that aren't defined in there anyway. Then he says, well, there's so many examples in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Well, my Bible tells me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, or, or, or sorry, he says, there's so many examples in 1 Corinthians. And I'm assuming he means the, uh, the talk about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, right? And we'll get to that text in a second, because that is a common text used by those promoting this idea of carnal Christianity. But my Bible tells me, Matter of fact, that the people in 1 Corinthians uh, were described, let's look at it here in a second, as repentant people, right? Notice what it says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, in free grace theology, many unrighteous people will inherit the kingdom of God as long as they believed. Right. Because notice what it's notice what appeals to for the reason why they don't inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> the very thing Bob Wilkins says uh, isn't the reason. Do not be deceived. 
Why would it point to people's works if faith has nothing to do with with how you act this out? It's, it's not evidential. Interesting answer, I'm sure it would be. Don't be seen neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. No, it's not common today to, to speak against that. Nor thieves, nor greedies, nor drunkards, nor devilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But notice this, but you were washed. Oh, wait, such were some of you. You were this way, right? You were this way. Now you are washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. The spirit of God is now living in the Christian. We can no longer conform to this pattern of living. This doesn't mean Christians don't sin. The Bible tells you that. So straw manning and saying, well, well, you have to be perfect then according to your theology. No, I don't, because the Bible tells me that there are justified people who are being sanctified who still sin. Again, sanctification is conformity to this way of living. So very interesting, huh? Well, let's keep playing this video. According to this article, those who continue to walk according to the flesh are not believers. And the, the author says the carnal Christian who examined himself will soon see that he or she is not in the faith. It's rather odd, but the uh, reference to the carnal Christian is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And there Paul says that a baby Christian is a carnal Christian. Y yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, I, I, well, I would even push back on that a little bit, but, um, it's actually talking about someone it, I'm going to get to it when I get to Tony Evans. So I'll, I'll, res I'll respond fully to that, but it's talking about they, this dispute that was having, right? Um, but, but yeah, we'll get to that in a second. I, I got a lot to say about first Corinthians chapter three, because it's kind of the uh, go-to text. So that anyone who has just come to faith in Christ is a carnal Christian. In fact, anyone... Oh, oh, let me say this. Sorry. Let me say this. It's not talking about someone who's still living rebellious to the things of God and still being considered a Christian. That's one thing it's never being discussed as. <laughs> right? It, it, again, the, 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 the letter of 1 Corinthians is not the book you want to go to to establish that. 1 Corinthians 6 just rules that out, that the church at Corinth was still a repentant people. In the first year of their faith is a carnal Christian, is a baby Christian. And to suggest that they're not born again if they're a carnal believer is contrary to the word of God. The author goes on to say salvation is certainly free, but at the same time, it costs us everything. I've heard that a lot, but you know what that is? That's a contradiction. If it's free, it's free. If it costs us everything, then it's not free. And you can use all... Uh, this isn't understanding the categories of what people are speaking about. It's free because we did not earn it. But now that it has been given to us, it, it, it's costly. I mean, again, we've read the cost of discipleship. The Christian life is not an easy one. That, that's what people are generally meaning. Maybe just being too nitpicky there, but yeah. All the 
theological jargon you want, but that's never going to be anything but a contradiction. The article goes on to say where easy believism fails is in its lack of recognition that a person with faith in Jesus will lead a progressively changed life. You know what? Now the author is saying it's not enough for you to ha see good works in your life and say, well, I'm probably born again because I see these good works. They must be progressively better. So you must say, I know I'm walking more with Christ now than I was last year and I, last year more than the year before. And every year you've got to keep topping what you did the year before. And your assurance is not based on Christ, it's based on you. The author ends... Well, hold on, sir. Uh, yeah, there is this progression. You, you, you have to deny so much of the Bible to come to this position, right? You have to deny so much of the Bible. Let's, let's look at a text where it talks about Christians progressing in their faith. Um, Second Peter chapter one, let's start at verse uh, four. So much good, man, let's start at verse three. So much good stuff. Like, it's like, sometimes it's like, where do you start? Let's read the whole chapter, right? <laughs> it says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Love that verse. Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped, notice this, this is speaking to the Christian. This is, this is true of every one of us. We've escaped the corruption that, that is in the world because of sinful desire, but it goes on. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, Self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if, notice the conditional statement or qualitative statement, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being effective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, but notice this, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Now, Christians aren't descriptive of being blind people, right? We, we've been given eyes to see. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former states. Therefore, brothers, right, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling in election. How do you, how do you, how do you call, how do you confirm your calling in election? I'm glad you asked. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So practice these qualities, right? You should see these qualities being practiced in your life. The very thing the free grace theologians want to deny. Right? <sighs> very interesting. Very interesting. Um, someone says, check out Pastor Stephen Anderson. I have had a conversation with him. <laughs> no, Stephen Anderson is a false teacher. So I do not recommend listening to Stephen Anderson. But we will continue. Continue on. By saying that discipleship and obedience are the response that will no doubt occur when one truly comes to faith in Christ. No, what we should say is that discipleship and obedience are the response that should occur when someone comes to faith in Christ. The love of Christ... Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's read this. How shall we who died to sin live in it? Romans 6, right? What is the obvious answer? 
By no means, right? We can't. <laughs> Why? Because Christ is raised from the dead. We have died and we've been raised to newness of life. Right? Yeah. Immaturity is a stage of sanctification, not carnality. Right. Carnality is unacceptable at any stage of sanctification. Yeah, we're, we're going to look at this carnal Christian here in a second by looking at some things that Tony Evans has said. We're going to look at that. Um, so, yeah. Let me let me respond. This it says repentance is necessary for salvation. This guy is wrong. Repentance is a change of mind. We don't completely reject repentance. We reject the repent of your sins to be saved lie. So you said so one doesn't have to repent of their sins. So does one have to go from unbelief to now believing? If you say yes, welcome to the Lordship salvation position. If you say no, you have denied much of the Bible. I always ask these people, does, they say, we don't have to repent of our sins. Is unbelief of sin we need to repent of? When you go from unbelief to faith, that is repentance. Interesting. Anyways, uh, let's continue on. Which constrains us, 2 Corinthians 5.14, and motivates and compels us to glorify Him. But this is not a guaranteed result. It's not a guaranteed result. Let me look at one more text. Sorry, I know I'm going to a lot of Bible today, but hey, that should be that should be something we desire. Uh, I, I love this text because it actually describes what the grace of God accomplishes on behalf of the believer. Notice this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Notice this. Notice what the grace of God does. The appearance of grace does. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions right and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age what else does grace do i'm glad you asked it causes us to wait for our blessed hope see this is why you can't you can't be a, a christian and become an atheist as some free grace components will say and you're still saved no that contradicts this text it causes us to wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's just a deity of Christ proof text. You know, you guys take that in your pocket if you need it. <laughs> Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawless. So notice what the atonement of Christ did on behalf of the believer. Right? It causes us to, uh, it, it redeems us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. God is purifying a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is what the Bible says. What, do you, what does he mean? The grace of God, faith in Christ doesn't produce any good works necessarily. What? And to that, I read this verse, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you, right? Yeah. Faith and repentance are two sides or are, 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 are the same coin, right? It's a different side of the coin, right? If you place your faith in Christ, necessarily you're going to repent. If you repent it of your sins, the object of that is, is going to be to trust in Christ. All these are, are working together. They're not two different things that a person can have without. You know, I was very enjoyous to hear my pastor, Pastor Landon, by the way, he's in the chat. Make sure you subscribe to him. Talk about faith and repentance. Right. 
it was it was great. It was great to hear this message and, and many biblical texts that talked about faith and repentance. Jesus' first message was on repentance. You must repent in order to see the kingdom of God. This, this is something that must happen. You must do this. This change of mind produces a change of, 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 of lifestyle. Right? It, automatically. It is a change of mind which produces the fruit of repentance. See, repent, repentance, the change of mind, produces the fruit of repentance. Many people conflate those things. But uh, yeah, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Hope you're enjoying this video, by the way. If you're, if you're enjoying it, go and give it a like. So what is easy believism? Well, with what this author means is someone who says simply by believing in Jesus that you're born again. And the answer is yes. That is the way we're born again. But is that easy? The fact that most people reject it suggests it's not easy. But whether it's easy or hard, John 3.16 teaches believism. John 5.24 teaches believism. Ephesians 2.8-9 teaches believism. James 1.18 teaches believism. Now he's just going to the text that mentioned the word believe. No one's denying you must believe. The issue is what does faith look like? What does true saving faith look like? Is it is it just anyone like the devils? I mean, you can look just like the devil as long as you tipped your hat to some certain facts about Jesus, then you're good to go. Is that what the Bible actually teaches? Absolutely not. That is condemned. God's judgment always came upon people like this. That is called hypocrisy, idolatry. God hates that. And against these things, the wrath of God are being poured out on. You know how many people walk around claiming to be Christian that have no interest, no desire for anything about God? God for them is a ticket punch to, to heaven, to their better life, best life. No desire to worship God, love God. Reflect God, obey God. No, they, they desire none of these things. They just want what he gives them. That is a, that is that is idolatry. Revelation 22, 17 teaches believism. Over a hundred verses in the Bible teach that whoever simply believes in Jesus has everlasting life. Again, we're not saying believe Jesus and then work and then you'll be saved we're, we're, we're saying we're saying that true saving faith which justifies a person produces sanctification so again i, I and this is why I, I i labored to to uh qualify what lordship salvation is and isn't in the beginning of the video because this is much of the critiques going to verses that say see believe 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 and i'm like amen <laughs> but the bible also says the nature of this belief and what it looks like and produces right so, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, again, it's, it's this, when we let the Bible speak on this, it's, the, the issue is very clear. The issue is very clear. Now, some of you may be asking, why do I have good old Tony Evans in the thumbnail? Well, Tony Evans wrote a book or not even a book. It was a pamphlet. Let's see if I can find it here. 
Oh, I got to pull it up. Uh, oh, here it is. Tony Evans wrote a pamphlet quite a few years ago. Um, it is out of print, but there are still much quotes and reviews from this online that you can check out. And so today I'll be reading some of those quotes and what he talks about in um, what he labels carnal Christianity. Right. You may have heard this phrase. <laughs> you may have heard this phrase carnal Christianity. Right. Um, there are many people who have labored to talk about this from first Corinthians chapter three and describe uh, what is going on with the Corinth church um, as carnal Christianity. But what you're actually going to see, what has what is being described as carnal Christianity, is not that which is even going on um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me read some quotes to you from uh, Dr. Tony Evans. Um, and I know, I know Dr. Tony Evans has done a lot of good um, in many people's life. Many people say they have benefited from him. So I do want to be gracious and, and understanding of that. But also, hey, this is error. <laughs> this is error. He says this in the book, uh, Carnal Christian, or sorry, in the pam booklet or pamphlet, Carnal Christian, the Carnal Christian. He says, first of all, the Carnal Christian is a genuine Christian. We're going to see why that's problematic here in a second. He has received Christ as Savior but refuses to submit to him and serve him as Lord. Now, why is that problematic? Jesus says, why do you call me Lord if you don't obey me? Right? One cannot call Jesus Lord without a willingness to submit to his lordship. This is why it's called lordship salvation. He says, second, the carnal Christian is a stagnant Christian. Now, we're going to see even further how what he calls stagnant, I would argue, I mean, these guys are plummeting, plummeting to uh, all kinds of myriads of sin. He says, third, the carnal Christian is a fleshly minded Christian. Well, the problem we have in that in Romans 8 says we are of the spirit. We're not of the flesh. Right. Going over the quote, some people live only to please themselves. Forget about serving or submitting to Christ. They are controlled by the old person they used to be. Sounds like they still are. Uh, instead of the new person they have become. They know all the jargon and have memorized all the lyrics. They wear holy clothes and spiritual cologne, but only to disguise the truth. Now, these people, Tony Evans, say are still Christian. Tony Evans says these people are still Christian. Despite this, despite loving their sin, loving their rebellion, Hating the things of God. He says they still are Christian. Let's continue. He says, fourth, listen to this. The carnal Christian is a rebellious Christian. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, how worse does it get? Let, let, me, let me just say this. Rebellion and Christianity <laughs> are contradictory terms, right? It's like gay Christian, trans Christian. A murderous Christian. These are terms that do not mesh well together. Why? But Christians have a pattern of obedience. Again, not saying that Christians don't sin, but they don't. They, they don't have adjectives of sin. Sin, right? They're not living this pattern of sin, which they to which they could be called rebellious. 
He says, to be saved and walk like mere men is to rebel against your heavenly father. Parents of teenagers know what that this kind of rebellion looks like. You say, clean up your room. No, comes the reply. So these people are categorically described as people who tell God no all the time. Yet apparently still are Christians. I, I, he says it's as though they suddenly forget who pays the bills. They were trained properly as children. They know better. But doing those terrible teens, good training and good sense are often willfully tossed out the window. Many Christians waste years, perhaps even a lifetime living out those terrible teen years spiritually. So, I mean, first John three, let's throw that out. Um, the, these are people who, as, as Tony Evans says, they live their majority of their life. Um, disobedient to God. Um, that is not what um, the Bible says. You think of uh, many, many, many past, for, again, I've given numerous in this video, but first, first, uh, first John 3 describes Christians as one who cannot live that way, right? Why? Because God's seed abide in them, right? And so, I mean, there's so many, um, listen to this, listen to this. Evans goes as far to say, simply define carnality is a spiritual state in which a born, a born again Christian knowingly, willingly, intentionally, and persistently lives to please and save herself rather than Jesus Christ. The carnal Christian is also characterized by a willful refusal to go. Again, we've, we've read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which describes that the pattern of the believer's life is not of that. Because God's seed abide in him. He cannot live uh, habitually practicing sin because God's seed abide in him. Um, God, it, it, there's so much stuff in here where it's like, are, are we reading the same Bible? I'm, you know, do not be deceived. The righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, only expect fearful judgment, right? H Hebrews. Um, <laughs> there's so much of this. He goes on to call the, the carnal Christian is characterized by rejection of the Christian faith. So you can reject the Christian faith. You could be living in hostility to the Christian faith and apparently still be Christian. As long as you've tipped your, tipped your hat, Christianity is so deadly and destruction, destructive to Christianity. Let me play the great R.C. Sproul. One of the great and ghastly errors, not just error, but heresies that permeates the evangelical world today is the doctrine of the carnal Christian. The doctrine of the carnal Christian was first uh, set forth in a theological framework that taught this, that at regeneration, the Holy Spirit can come in and save a person without changing the person at all. There had to be a second stage where uh, there was lordship introduced uh, on the throne of the soul where uh, for a person to be spirit-filled and so on and not be carnal. But the idea was that you could be a believer 
and be altogether carnal. Now, the Bible says we are carnal, we're sold unto sin, and as long as we're in this life, we still have a certain fleshiness that uh, accompanies our walk as Christians. But if you're 100 percent flesh, 100 percent carnal, you're 100 percent unconverted. That is absolutely right. That is absolutely right. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll answer this again because I, I answered it, but I think it's good to address it again. Again, the way uh, the Apostle Paul describes carnal Christian is not being used in this person who's living totally contrary to the things of God. They were they were people who were choosing Apollos over over, over Paul trying to have this debate. And that's what's being talked about. These, these are remember, these are the people that Paul later goes on to describe as those who uh are no longer this way, they, that they've been washed, sanctified, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. These people aren't living in rebellion to the things of God as being talked about, as uh, uh, Tony Evans has described. He says that a person lives contrary to the things of God, can have no desire, intentionally, willfully, all these things. Again, 1 John 3 also dispels that notion as well. Believers aren't those who live this pattern of life, uh, sinful life, right? The Bible says they can't. Literally, they can't. You, you can't live in hatred towards your brother and be a Christian. You can't, you know. Um, and so, yeah, he uses the adjective, yeah, because he's talking about in regards to this Apollos and Paul disagreement they're having. Not their whole characterization of their life. That, that's the context of that verse. Again, if, if that's what he's saying, he, then he goes on to contradict what he says in 1 Corinthians 6 that says, you aren't like that. You, you, you're washed, sanctified. Um, you, you guys are former homosexuals, former adulterers, former all this. So, yeah. Um, yeah, this is, you, you know, um, I, I, I reject and oppose. Um, yeah, yeah, possibly so. But that isn't that isn't what uh, Tony Evans described. <laughs> he, he went way beyond. Uh, I, I don't know if you were here for that when I gave kind of his uh, characterization of carnal Christianity. If that's the context you're using it, then maybe me and you have a lot more agreement. Uh, but Tony Evans said a lot more than than just that, that that a person is immature. Um, so, yeah, it, matter of fact, he said if a person lives contrary to the things of God, I mean, I, I would not call that person a Christian biblically. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, I know uh, Tony Evans gets a lot of pass. I know a lot of people look up to Tony Evans. And, and, and this is this this is I, I'm mature enough to know that this isn't even about Calvinism or I mean, he could not be a Calvinist. That's fine. But this is just blatantly false. Um, this is blatantly false. Yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with what Tony Evans is teaching. But as a matter of fact, Tony Evans says that's what 1 Corinthians 3 is teaching. So I totally disagree with that. Um, let's see. Because Tony Evans gives a few more people. Uh, yeah, he says Christians can be in total rebellion. Um, yeah, so, so uh, listen to this, because he describes the, the man in 1 Corinthians 5 as who was sleeping with his mother as a Christian. He says, even the Christian man who has an incestuous relationship with his stepmother was a Christian. That's why Paul right have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, 
They're placing this man on church discipline um, for refusal to repent. Um, I mean, I guess I guess I'll let you guys decide if that person's a Christian or not. Again, First Corinthians six nine. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Uh, yeah, Tony Evans has a lot of uh, troubling troubling um views he has he has this position called trans dispensationalism maybe i'll look into it one day where he essentially argues that people who've never heard the gospel they still go to heaven because they've been dispensate they they're i I do want to be careful on uh articulating his view but essentially because they are they kind of get trans dispensationalized into another dispensation they get they get kind of I forget the terminology he used, so I want to be careful. But essentially, argues there are people who never hear the gospel that get in based on kind of their heart and obedience. And so, I don't know. Read Romans ten. It doesn't seem like that, you know. Um, so yeah. You said you think some of his views have changed. Well, hey man, it, I would love to. Uh, I would love to see evidence of that. I mean. I'm not, I mean, maybe you're right. I, w- I would love to see that. I would love to see like some kind of refutation of, of his book and saying, Hey, no, I no longer teach that. That was a mess when I was a first, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So man, um, I know, like I said, I know a lot of people, even who watch this channel, look up to Tony Evans, people at my, people at my church, you know, what, what, um, uh, hold on a second. Dispensational identifies as covenant theology. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I know there are someone at my church that will say, man, I would love for you to look into Tony Evans, man. I like listening to him. And I I knew about this for a while. So I, I did this video for, <laughs> for them because they said they wanted me to do this video. Um, and so hopefully it will benefit, benefit them. So, yeah. Um, and pastor says another danger of free grace is, is its carnal security it produces. Yeah. A system, if a system permits sin and a life of sin, how does it not produce false security and antinomianism? Yeah, that's right. You know, because these guys will say, well, I'm not saying you should live this way. Well, yeah, but you're also saying they can't either, right? And so it is my position, although they may reject antinomianism by like, hey, no, you shouldn't live that way. But But in practice... Someone could live antinomianly um, and uh, from, from their perspective and, and still still be still be Christian, even though the Bible rejects that a lawless person will not get to heaven. Read Matthew chapter seven. Um, read Matthew chapter seven. Very clear. Um, and so let me be clear on what I'm what I'm what I'm saying as well. I'm not saying Christians can't can't uh, fall. Christians can even have great falls, uh, shameful falls. But the issue is, will this person go and live this pattern of life? Years. Matter of Tony Evans said, uh, your majority of their life. Absolutely not. Uh, th- that is literally will be categorically as a, a pattern and practice of sin. Um, and so we should all not desire to be to be, to be that. Um uh, Read the book of Hebrews if you want some encouraging, stern warnings for you. Um, so, yeah. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought I'd make this video because I thought it'd be helpful just getting into this uh, issue of free grace, uh, lordship salvation. I know people ask me what my position is quite often. I was like, hey, you know, this will be a good video as we talk about really get get into the text. Uh, obviously, man, this conversation can go way deeper. This, <laughs> If you want an in-depth conversation, I would encourage you guys to watch me and Rick Caldwell's. I can't believe we did this to, the, to this day. I was starving by the time I got done with this video, but it was a six-hour marathon. I can't even call it a live. A live is at max two, maybe three hours. But me and Rick Caldwell went on a literal marathon talking about this issue. We went very in-depth. So um, I thought, I mean, I, we, we, we handled a num numerous texts just describing this issue. And so I think you will verily be rich by this. This could be a little shorter version, right? But you'll be enriched highly by uh, me and Rick Caldwell's video. If you just want to take, hey, if it, if it takes you months to get through it, I totally understand. But uh, yeah, you will be blessed. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, easy believism as a carnal Christian is a false teaching that deceived me in my youth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's, it's a false teaching. It, you know, that is much of what is plaguing uh, Christianity today. You know, I, I agree with John MacArthur when he says, you know, the hardest people to actually convert are those who have been deceived. Right. They think they're Christian. They're, they're up. You literally disagreeing with the gospel, claiming to be Christians. Right. And yet they, 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 they have deceived themselves into thinking they're Christian. And those are the hardest people to reach. I mean, I'd rather talk to an atheist. At least they know they're not of God, you know. But those who, who have, have deceived themselves into thinking they're Christian, man, they're the hardest people to evangelize, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Luke 13, 3, a great verse on repentance. The necessity, not, not, not the... Oh, it should be done, but if you don't do it, it's okay. Jesus says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, unless this has to happen, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish, right? You don't repent, you're going to perish. That, that, that. I mean, guys, how clear could it be? All these guys, you don't need to repent to be saved. Then why are people perishing if they don't do it? You know, um, so yeah, yeah, man, this, this is the Bible's teaching. You know, I, I know that, you know, that nothing scares people who claim to be Christians more than holiness or obedience, right? Oh, we don't, we don't want to be legalistic. <laughs> well, I don't want to be antinomian, right? Um, you know, so. Again, salvation is by grace through faith, apart from works. It's only in the 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 the, the uh, meritorious work of Christ. But this salvation that He has given to us lives a certain way. It produces holiness of life. Christ has not just saved us to be in the muck and mire, right? He saved us, but we're still in our filth. No, He's He set us free from the bondage of captivity. To now we can actually obey from the heart, right? That heart change comes about. Regeneration. How can someone who has been regenerated, they has the spirit in them to convict them even when they do sin. 
still live rebellious as as if nothing changed. That 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 is mind blowing that that people actually teach that. Is a is a it is a destructive uh, theology out there. Um, Yeah, yeah. So uh, someone, Benjamin, says, have you read Charles Ryrie's book, So Great Salvation, where he explains his position on Lordship Salvation? I have not. I know he's a dispensationalist, uh, so we, we would have some categorically different uh, beliefs, but I, I have not read that book. I have not read that book. Um, so, yeah, I'm probably going to shut it down today. It's, man, it's been a long day. Next week, next week, you don't want to miss because I'm going to have um, Brother Justin Peters on. We're going to be talking about the history of the prosperity gospel movement, things like that. What do they teach, et cetera, et cetera. So you don't want to miss next week's uh, uh, video podcast. It's going to be very good. Uh, maybe we'll get into some, uh, some, some, some theological nuances and differences uh, between brothers. And so... But really, we'll be talking about the dangers of uh, the word of faith movement. And so I'm very excited to have Justin Peters on. He was very instrumental of me coming out of word of faith theology. And so I uh, hope you guys will, will listen in to that. Y'all know how it is. All things theology, Kate, up to the next time. Grace and peace, y'all. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Hey, till the next time, y'all. Grace and peace.